0: Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show, where we interview athletes, coaches, entertainers, artists, musicians, authors, and many more on both our podcast and YouTube channels. We discuss their upbringing, careers, and what they're doing today. We document the past so the future can remember. Please like, follow, subscribe, and share our programs. Got a guest you'd like to hear? Contact us and we'll try and get them on the program. We have over 200 episodes recorded, so please enjoy. Stories can't be remembered unless they are told. Someone asked me one time how I get my guest ideas. It's easy, those I've had memories of in my lifetime. In a weird sort of way, it brings closure to certain times in my life. A history major at Indiana State University, I feel it's my way of preserving history for future generations to remember. Welcome to the program. Welcome to the Keeping the Nostalgia Live show. I am your host, Billy Powell. As you can see with us is number 25, Indiana University Hoosier basketball legend, A.J. Guyton. A.J., thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your busy schedule to help keep the nostalgia alive and, and talk hoops.
1: Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. And also, too,
0: I'm going to uh, share a screen here. Uh, A.J. has a uh, podcast uh, called House of Hoosier. where You can see uh, uh, there on the screen there with... Uh, Coach Knight having uh, AJ in the headlock <laughs> uh, and a uh, house of Hoosier. I, I have found it. I, I, I'm, I'm taking I'm taking it that it's available on all uh, podcast platforms. Is that correct?
1: Yes. Yes. Spotify, um, Apple and uh, YouTube. Uh, there's a field of 68 podcast networking. You can find the video versions on YouTube.
0: You know, uh, yesterday, yesterday we were going to do this interview, but something came up and we had mm-hmm. to. Uh, um, uh, hold on one second. I have screwed up the screen here. What am I doing? <laughs> let me, let me fix this. I'll have to. Okay. Uh, and uh, it had only been from the night before that uh, um, the Hoosiers had lost in double overtime to Syracuse Orangeman. Uh-huh. Now that, now that we've had about a 24 hour uh, cooling off period, what did you think of that ball game? And uh, what do you think of uh, the coaching hire on this year's club?
1: I mean, I thought, uh, you know, first of all, Mike Woodson, I think he's doing a, a fine job of, of uh, kind of trying to establish a culture and establish, you know, an identity for the basketball team. Uh, you know, earlier it was defense. It was uh, getting after guys. It was, you know, shutting people down. Uh, but, you know, last night's game or the, the other night's game, you know, it was 110 to 110. So, you know, you I mean, today's basketball, you got to win different ways. Uh, you're going to have to score a lot of points some nights and some nights you're going to defend and some nights it's going to be a mix of both, but you just, you'll have to be able to adjust to today's game. And I was happy because I saw an ability to uh, knock down shots. I saw, you know, guys' ability to get to the basket, guys' ability to, you know, share the basketball, uh, you know, and, and, and it led to an opportunity to win and playing against a zone. You're going to get uh, m- many opportunities to make shots. You know, a zone cannot stop you from getting shots. It can always, oh, it's, it's kind of a mental game with a zone because if you start missing shots, then it becomes mental. But uh, they were able to Got of off to a slow start. Then they started catching a rhythm against the zone and was able to score 112 points. Obviously, you know, you're not going to beat many good teams turning the ball over 26 or 27 times. Uh, you know, you they didn't defend at the clip against a team that they should have been able to defend pretty well against. Uh, they didn't defend well. Those were the kind of two negatives that I took away from it. But, you know, I was happy to see them play a true role contest. I was happy to see them compete. Uh, and But, you know, they need to get better uh, on, on the defensive end against the top tier teams in order to, you know, have a, a nice run in the Big Ten. So overall, I'm excited about, you know, the opportunity that this year's Hoosier team has to continue to grow throughout the season. Um, is there such a thing
0: as a moral victory?
1: Mm-mm. I don't know what that is nah. I've, I've never heard of it. I mean, I heard of a lot, but I don't it's not a moral victory because you're thinking positive. you know I think that's what people take out of oh you, you being positive about a performance. It's not oh we think we won no you lost. It says l in the lost column it doesn't say you know l but almost won. it says l so but what you you got to keep the team morale up, you got to keep, keep the culture intact. So you think you take away the positives from a game that you probably should have won. And, uh, you know, it becomes it becomes uh, different when you continue to lose those games. So, I mean, you want to err on the side of positivity when it comes to rebuilding and trying to create a, a new culture. And that's what I prefer to do. What kind of
0: attitude or what kind of mood did it put you in when, like, when you were playing at Indiana University when you guys would lose? Did you did you shake it off pretty quick and move on to the, you know, your, your next game that you have to prepare for, or did it sit on you or weigh on you for a little bit, or uh, how does how does that affect an actual player?
1: I mean, uh, the natural player is—you know—you're you're down when you lose all the way from grade school. You know, you go to grade school, high school, you know, college. You know, you because because back then in high school you had to wait like one week to play a game. You played on a Friday or a Saturday, and you had to wait till the next Friday or Saturday to play again. So you had all that practice and all that time to really sit and think about it. In college, you know, you you're gonna watch tons and tons of film. The coach staff is not gonna let you forget about it. Is going to be something that they harp on all throughout the week. So from the naked eye, from a fan perspective, they think, oh, more of, you know, victory and being positive about takeaways from a game is, oh, you just, you know, you don't want to win or you don't fit. No, it's nothing like that. It's really just, you know, your coaching staff is going to do that part of it and you have to accept that. They're going to get the film out. They're still watching that film. They're going to pick that film apart. Individual. They're going to cut individual takes for players. They're going to have a team film for players. They're going to have an offensive uh, part of the film. they have a defensive part of the film. They're going to have a transition part of the film. They're going to cut that film up, you know what I mean, so you're not going to forget about it as a player. You're going to take it. You're going to feel it, but good thing for these kids, they play two or three games a week. So you always just try to get to that next game and then you take it out on that next opponent.
0: You know, I see your jersey hanging up there behind you there. And I was just talking to you before we started that uh, I was playing a little solitaire and I have my favorite uh, (laughs) card there.
1: Yeah, it's a lucky card. (laughs) Five equals seven. (laughs) I
0: like how people will take these packs and then sell each of the card individually on eBay.
1: Wow, that's amazing. 52
0: cards all split up on eBay. All
1: split up. (laughs) That's amazing.
0: So uh, tell us about, uh, when did you get the idea for the podcast? How, how did it get all started? And how uh, how do you, you know, I, I have my magical tricks to get my guests on. You got a little bit of a, a Midas touch because uh, of uh, you being such a great Indiana University Hoosier. But uh, tell us a little bit about the podcast.
1: I mean, it got started uh, a couple of years ago during the pandemic. You know, I was kind of just chilling, watching some, you know, TV and got a call from a, a guy named. Uh, actually, I got a call from um, Dusty May, uh, former former Hoosier manager. And he, he asked me, uh, would I be interested in doing a podcast? I didn't know where it was coming from. I ain't, I've never done it before. Never thought about it. Never cared. I listen to him all the time, though, at work uh, as I'm working. And whenever I'm doing and we're working out, things like that. And uh, he connected me with a guy named Rob Doster, who was starting to fill the Field of 68 podcast network and just had an idea of starting a podcast and, and reliving those nostalgic uh, memories with uh, former college players leading the way. You know, so it could give it uh, give the uh, a listener a different perspective. And uh, I tried it. You know, and and it's crazy because I came out so strong, man, with like Steve Alford and Calvert Chaney, you know, and I'm talking to these guys. I've never really done it, but, you know, just try to get better as I go and provide provide the listener with some 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 different types of stories from different types of angles that, you know, players can because we kind of have that secret code especially playing all of us playing for Indiana, playing at Indiana or in the ones who definitely played for Bob Knight. So we kind of had his code of things that we like to. we always wanted to talk about, but never really got those questions from the outside because they really didn't understand it. So, you know, it's been it's been going really well. You know, I'm kind of shifting a little bit uh, towards uh, just doing some analysis right now. You know, not really. Uh, you know, just doing all uh, former players, and I'm definitely gonna have a a bowl load of former players to interview. But uh, it's been it been fun uh, a fun opportunity so far. Which has
0: been the hardest nut to crack on uh, who you've had on the show?
1: I mean, it's really the younger guys because they don't really like to talk very much. You know, what I mean they they just they just don't. I don't know if it's because they don't have a lot of stories, not interested. You know, but you know they seem interested, but you get kind of short answers from them, and you got to kind of keep asking more questions more questions to get them to talk so uh it's really them the older guys you know you all you got to do is just lead them to the water and they just they get they get to telling those stories and I absolutely love it man
0: you know it's always fun when I ask guests to be on my show and they'll be like well how long is this going to take and like, about a half hour 45 minutes hour you know mm-hmm. something like that and
1: they'll be like my god what, what am I going to talk about and then you can't shut them up yeah. You can't get them quiet, man. I'll be ha- I'm happy about it. How long is it going to take 30 minutes? And then two hours later, it's like, oh, oh man, we went to, I know. Yeah, you just like telling those stories you did. You didn't realize. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, tell us a little bit Peoria, Illinois, right? Hmm?
1: Yeah, that's where I'm from. Born and raised. Tell us a little bit about
0: the basketball scene there, your life growing up there. And uh, what,
1: when did you become a Hoosier fan? What led you to Indiana University? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Growing up Peoria, Illinois was, I had a great um, upbringing, man. I, you know, I was raised with my mom, raised me with my, with her boyfriend, which is now my stepfather. Uh, You know, I have a brother, I have an older sister uh, named Kisra. She's 45 and uh, I have a younger brother. Um, His name is Daniel Ruffin. He's, uh, I think he's 37. He's about to turn 37. So, you know, we grew up in a a loving household, man. My mom, she just was demanding uh, discipline, accountability, that kind of thing. Um, And, and, you know, I I started to get, I I played everything as a kid, you know, had a great neighborhood, you know, I lived in projects uh, for the first probably... 13, 12 years of my life, you know. And so I had a, and when you live in the projects, you have a, a great array of friends to uh to, to, to see and deal with every single day. It's like consistent, you know, a lot of kids have to move and they go different places, you know, but we were just in one place for a, for a significant amount of time. So we all gravitated towards just doing all kinds of things in the neighborhood. You know, when it comes to you know, we were we were doing acrobatics, we were back flipping, we were we were sprinting, we were running, we were playing baseball, we were playing football. We called a dead man tackle at the time. Uh, you know, we played football, and uh, you know, and then basketball obviously uh, was our was our thing as well, because in Peoria a lot of outside courts. So a lot of people and it's the sport that you you know you don't need a whole bunch of people to play. All you need is two, four people. You play two on two, play one on one. So our our city naturally just gravitated towards. You know, basketball or we had community centers that were were thriving in the in the neighborhoods back then. Uh, the one that I went to was called the Salvation Army, and because it, it was directly across the street from where I live. So we had the outside, we had the inside. And so we were able to just kind of hone our skills, and that became our, our, our develop, our player development. You know, a lot of kids do trainers and all that nowadays. We didn't have trainers, we just had courts and basketballs and friends. And we watched a lot of TV and we tried to emulate what we saw on, on the TV. And uh, so, you know, Beoria basketball was really thriving from about 1975 all the way up until about 2005. We had multiple Division One basketball players. You know, uh, Chris Reynolds came from Peoria, uh, the the, the, the uh, leader point, leading one of the point guards, starting point guards from the nineteen, I think 80, 89 class that came in with Coward Cheney, Greg Graham, and those guys. Uh, so, you know, we had a lot of guys, a bunch of guys go uh, Division One. So naturally, for us as kids that became our dream and our goal was to, to, to continue that legacy and, and, and get in one of those high schools and to, and to follow our dream as well. So, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, playing in Peoria with a bunch of guys I ended up playing in the Big 10 against. Mike Robinson played at Purdue. Um, uh, Sergio McClain and Marcus Griffin both played and Frankie Williams both played, all three played at Illinois. Mark Vershaw is from the area, he played at Wisconsin. We all played against each other and we all from the same area. Uh, during our big Ten time. Uh, I didn't know much about Indiana uh, coming up because I'm in the area of University of Illinois and Bradley University were big because they you know they had Hersey Hawkins, they had uh, Jim Les back then. So they were kinda popular in the area. And um, so, you know, coming as a senior, uh, in, in going into my senior year, I had a couple of offers. I did a couple visits, but you know, I was kind of looked at as like a red shirt, you know, cause I was kind of thin, you know, but I was getting better, you know, I was, but I was, I wasn't, they didn't look at me as division one ready. So I, you know, I took a couple visits and uh, you know, I was just like, nah, this ain't it. You know, I took a visit to um, uh, Michigan, I'm not Michigan state, but Missouri took a, a visit to Bradley have multiple, much interest from University of St. Louis, Charlie Spoonhour, he was the only coach to actually come to my house uh, and, you know, and recruit me, you know. And so I was really on the verge of committing to St. Louis because of that, because of uh, Charlie Spoonhour uh, coming to my home. I, that was big time to me. Uh, but, you know, I decided to wait until the spring. I kind of kind of try to gamble on myself. I uh, felt like I could do better. And uh, that's when, you know, fate intervened, man. And that's when things changed for Indiana basketball at that time. Uh, one of their players caught, you know, a domestic violence situation and was kicked off of the team. So that opened up a scholarship. Uh, so, you know, I was ended up, you know, playing. I got some interest from Ron Felling. He came he came to some games. And then finally, late, I think it was in February or January of um, 1996, uh, Tim Knight came to a game, uh, you know, I, I think he was kind of the final. I don't know how he ended up being the final person to evaluate me because he wasn't a coach, but he came to a game, and uh, I, I didn't play well. I played good in the first half. I was being boxing one, so I had, like, four or five points in the first half, but I scored, like, 30 points in the second half, and he went back and reported to them that I, that I was ready for the Big Ten, and that's what kind of got the ball rolling again, because Indiana was bringing me in and getting me in for like unofficial visits in my junior year, but they backed off because they didn't have any scholarships available. So um, the good thing about them, me was I didn't know much about Indiana or Bob Knight. Like I didn't, you know, because it, it didn't factor into my decision. It was like, uh, people say, well, why are you going to Indiana? You know, the coach is crazy. That's what they would tell me, you know, I'm like, I mean, my high school coach thinks he's him so I don't understand. so I was you know some people could be deterred by that, but I never knew about chair throwing and I never knew about head button and uh, whipping and all this other stuff there that, that were rumors out there. I never heard of that stuff. so when he brought us brought me in you know and I, it, all I looked at it was what my stepfather told how my stepfather told me to look at it was uh, you know, you look at the roster, you look at you listen to you know the, the people who are recruiting you and you decide whether they're you think they're genuine or not. If you have an opportunity to play, then that's the school you probably should go to. And you know if every all those things line up and with me coming in with only Neil Reed as the returning guard, with uh, Michael Lewis coming in with Luke uh, Luke Jimenez coming in, um, uh, you know it was just a prime place. Like okay, you got a great opportunity to play a lot here. Let's go. And so that's how I ended up at Indiana University over over uh, St. Louis and Michigan State. Um, I'm glad I didn't go to Michigan State because I probably would (laughs) have committed because they just I was really good friends with my team Cleves and your butt when I looked at their roster, they just had a lot of guards, you know, and I was, Thomas Kelly was there. Charlie Bell was there coming in. My team was there, had a guy named Maurice Ager. He was there. Uh, I was just like, nah, there's going to be too many guards. And so that kind of, I canceled a visit with, uh, actually it was Tom Crean and Tom Izzo uh, canceled a visit. I ended up uh, going to Indiana. So I liked it and then ended up committing. So that was the story of how I got to Indiana University.
0: You know, going back to what you said, I think we played that same football game, but it was called Kill the Man, where they just throw the ball up yeah. in the air and you run around till you got tackled.
1: Right. Yep. Yep. That's dead man tackle. Yeah. You get the ball dead man and-
0: tackle, kill the man. Okay. I just, you the know, whole neighborhood
1: chases you. <laughs> yeah.
0: you. You know, I was I was living in Kansas City and uh I uh I we just bought a new house and I put my Indiana flag up on the garage and uh one of the neighbors comes by and said, You know, did you go to Indiana University? And we got into a conversation and he said that, oh, geez, wait till you see this kid, A.J. Guyton, come. Uh, he's from Illinois and blah, 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 right. blah, blah, blah. <laughs> what a pleasure it was to watch you for four years. Tell us tell us a little bit about your relationship with uh, Coach Knight. And uh, is there still a relationship today?
1: I mean, people be surprised. I've never had a relationship with Coach Knight. Like, I've never, um, you know, probably over the well, – what I've been going from Indiana since 2000, it's 21. So over the 21 years – that I've been gone, I probably only spoken to Coach Knight five times in that 21 years. Like I've never like because my journey was I, you know, I went to the NBA, I played in the NBA for about two and a half years, and I played in the G League for a year for about three or four months, and then my journey took me to Europe. So back then, when you went to Europe, you disconnected from everybody. There wasn't FaceTime. There wasn't, you know, uh, the ability to just uh, call people all the time. It was they had Yahoo Messenger on dial-up, which was uh, which was our it was a, which was our podcast back then. Uh, so I mean, I, but but here's the, the the flip side of Coach Knight. You know, a lot of us don't have a relationship with him with him, but whenever you needed something, you reached out. He did. He will always deliver. I mean, that's I mean, that's what you want out of a relationship anyway. Uh, you know, he was I, I never um, was the type of guy want to sit down and talk about the valley of uh, the battle of Valley Forge with with, with Coach Knight. You know, what I mean, like he he has his circle of guys and uh, the respect was mutual. He would always tell me when I did talk to him how much he appreciated me for staying there for four years. For, you know, and with the work that I put in uh, to 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 help uh, Indiana basketball remain relevant, he would always be uh, thankful for that. But uh, I don't. I haven't spoken to Coach Knight. You know, it's probably. I mean, I saw him at the reunion, uh, but you know, just to have a real conversation with him has probably been ten years. Uh, since I last spoke to Coach Knight, so um, you know my relationship with him is just that. It was basically on an as-needed basis. It was it was a mutual respect, but uh, my journey took me to many other countries and many other time zones, and I just you know you just lose contact sometimes when you do that. That's why this this podcast has been important to me because it was it's an, an opportunity to connect with that, especially with that ten years that I was gone that I really couldn't connect to the Indiana basketball verse. So it's been, that's why it's been good for me to connect, contact those guys can listen to their stories and how they got to Indiana and, and, and excelled uh, and blown me to.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I had a basketball coach at a uh, high school in Indianapolis, Indiana, and he actually was, uh, Mike Woodson's high school basketball coach. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are certain situations, he just got inducted into the Indiana basketball hall of fame, um, uh, two days ago or yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, finally. And there are times where I just get chills or I could just cry about stuff that I know that, um, uh, it meant so much to me and, and include him in the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What was it like at the reunion? What, what, what were the feelings like? I mean, what was, were you kind of a little nervous about the reunion? How, how, how I, I cried and I didn't even go to Indiana university.
1: I mean, I, I'm going to be honest about, I wasn't going to go, you know, um, and I, and my reason for not going is I'm a, I, I really didn't like the uh, the, um, the support years ago that Coach Knight had for Donald Trump. Um, I really did enjoy that, you know, as especially as an African American player who played for him, that was disappointing to me. You know, I understand. I don't. I'm not the type of guy that uh, care like you know, wants to dictate whose political beliefs and things like that. I just think you know, especially when you. Uh, you know, you coach a lot of those guys, a lot of guys like us, like, you know, the African-American kids and you help so many of us, uh, you know, to support some, someone like that was at that time was disappointing to me. And, and that's why I, that was my thought process at that time, you know, because I was you know, a little younger. I wasn't really, you know, analyzing and, and thinking about it. So I wasn't going to go. I was kind of like done with the whole, uh, you know, try, you know, supporting not supporting Indiana basketball, but yeah, supporting Indiana basketball because it was just, you know, I didn't understand why they were never going to you know, hire, um, they were never hired a former coach as a player or a former Indiana player as an assistant coach, which, you know, I was trying to knock on that door a few times. So it was just like, man, I'm, I'm tired of that. And, um, you know, I was convinced by Andre Patterson, uh, you know, after a couple of different phone calls from him, Luke Jimenez called me uh, to come, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, Andre was like, man, it's not about him as much as it is about connecting with us. And that's what would flip the switch in me. I was like, oh, okay, I I wasn't thinking like that. And uh, once he said that and Luke Jimenez reiterated that, I went, you know, so when I went, you know, I just connected with many players as I could from Quinn Buckner to Scott May to, you know, even coach Woodson, you know, and, and Isaiah Thomas, Uh, and I was just taking pictures and just chopping it up and having conversations with them. I didn't even get a chance. I talked to, I sat and talked with coach Knight for about three minutes. Uh, You know, I didn't get a chance to talk to Pat Knight, you know, or Karen and all those guys. I was, it was all about reconnecting with, uh, we have a very strong alumni base, uh, former player, alumni base, man. And I think it was, it was, it was dissipating. It was going different directions because of, uh, you know, the, the coaching thing and the Coach Knight not coming back. So I've always looked at it like there was a huge black cloud over Indiana basketball because of the whole Bob Knight thing anyway. That's why we were always almost on the cusp of doing something, and then all of a sudden we lose to Syracuse in, in the, in the 6-week-16 or we don't make the tournament or it was just like a black cloud. And I felt like, okay, going to visit these guys, Coach Knight coming back is going to lift that black cloud and reconnect all those dots that need to be reconnected so we can move forward and uh, for Indiana basketball can move forward. So I swallowed my pride and said, you know what, I'm going to go connect with the guys. And that's how I ended up there, man. It was a phenomenal experience, man. And I'm, I'm very, very uh, thankful that I decided to go and that I let those feelings go. Um, You know, and, and I've never told anybody that before, but that was the reason why I, I wasn't going to go to that. You know, and so, but um, I'm I'm so glad that I did. Um, first pick in the second round. Yeah, no, second pick in the second round. I second pick in the second round. Thirty picks back then, or thirty. So out the thirty first and then thirty second pick.
0: Were what was draft night like? Were you disappointed? I, I'm not harping on negative. I just want to get an idea of how you felt uh, about the draft and um, tell us about your pro career.
1: Honestly, I, I, you know, I, at that time, I was very disappointed because, you know, um, and then, and then when I look today, you know, I always chuckle because I'm like, all these guards are playing exactly the same way I played, but when I came out in uh 2000, you know, you, you, you had that label, you know, you had that label of having to be a true point guard or you had to be a true shooting guard, which is, which is, uh, which was. Not the thing back then, not being a combo guard or a hybrid guard or or a guard that can just do everything. They didn't utilize that. We were right on the end of the cusp of throwing the ball into the post to somebody all the time. And, uh, you know, when I got drafted to the Bulls, I was happy uh, on one end, but I was disappointed because I was a first round talent. And it it and people don't understand, you know, first round, second round, it does change your trajectory financially. It changes the, the amount of commitment that the club has to has for you. So when you're a first round pick, they're more patient with you. They take the time with you. You can make a lot of mistakes. When you're a second round pick or you know, below, you have to make a splash impact immediately. There's no patience. You know, uh, and you're going to always be bumped out by those first round picks if that first round pick is, is in the same position that you're in. So these are the politics that people talk talked about that I never knew about that I discovered uh, when, you know, as a pro. So, you know, I, I just maximized those two years. I worked hard as I could to to, to be confident. And, and after the second year with the Bulls, uh, you know, I made a mistake. Uh, they all, they had a qualifying offer to me uh, and my agent kind of convinced me not to take the qualifying offer and bet on myself and go and uh, be part of the Lakers organization, which, uh, you know, which, which turned out to be a mistake. I shouldn't have did that. And so I, uh, because I didn't, basically I bet on myself and I failed and uh, didn't make the Lakers roster. Like I thought I should have um, uh, because faith uh, Shaq, Shaq, I went there to play with Shaq and be a sports a floor spacer for Shaq, and Shaq wasn't playing. And uh, so the, the team, and they told me this, that they, they needed a different type of guard because Shaq wasn't going to be available, I think, for the first couple months of the season. He had a toe injury. So, you know, and uh, so they went with Genero Pargo because his game was different than mine instead of me. So after being cut by the Lakers, you know, I decided to go to what is now the G League, Went down to the g Leg. i played from i think it was from uh i want to say december to march no january to march uh and uh play for the huntsville flight down in huntsville alabama had a it was a good experience man uh you know uh, because i've always been proud of the fact that i was able to play from every play in every league from every level from the bottom to the top you know when it comes to from the minor leagues all the way up to the nba i was in the middle and everything in the middle I've been able to uh, participate there, so I played there. I didn't get a call up like I thought I should. Have had a good had a good season, but like they weren't like then they weren't looking for the guard to come to score baskets. They want you to get people around you better, and, and that's the only thing they wanted you to do. So I ended up taking an offer to go to Italy, uh, 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 Europe, uh, Bologna, Italy. Um, and 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 I and when I when I took the offer and I got there, I hated it. It was like punishment. I mean, I didn't have any idea. I didn't speak the language and Ita- in Italy. There's no second language. I mean, it's, it's Italian or bust in, in Italy. So, you know, it was tough to order food. I ate the same food for three straight months, pizza, and drank a Coke every day because I did, just didn't know how to order food. But uh, something crazy happened. I started off playing well. And then all of a sudden I just took a dip and I just didn't play well. I, it was just the elements, man. They were allowed to smoke over there in the gym. So I was hard, tough adjusting to that. you know, you got the pressure. And this is the first time I, I have felt pressure from an, a management to perform. And I didn't do very well with it in the beginning. And, uh, but I'll never forget, you know, I was laying in the bed one day and I was I was living in an apartment that had a subway over the top of it. That was disappointing. And then I, there was no cable. So I watched the same 15 DVDs for, for about three months straight. So I was laying there one day I was like, man, you you know, some came over. And I was like, damn, I'm missing something." I was like,, um, uh, and I was like, I need I need a touch ride so I flew my mom over. And uh, you know, that turned out to be the recipe to get me back in the mold because mentally how I checked out. I didn't want to be there. That's the bottom line. And then so once my mom came over, and uh, I started I, the energy, I got like a boost of energy. So I got back in the gym, I was playing, I was in there every morning working on my game. And then all of a sudden it just took off. And I started averaging like 20 something points a game. I, 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 we, we, I helped the team get into the playoffs uh, as a, as the bottom seed. And we went all the way to the championship game. and played against Tyus Sidney, Jorge Garber-Hole. So all these guys do played in the NBA. The tra- uh, Trajan, Trajan Langdon was on that team. Benetton Treviso, and ended up playing, and and it took my European career uh, to to the moon for about five straight years. So, you know, I had to get over, you know, hindsight being 2020, I really had to just get over uh, not being in the NBA, not being at home, not being close to home, being a spoiled brat, because there's nothing like playing in the NBA. You get the best of everything going to Europe where you get the good money, but you don't get the best of everything. You get, you know, you get you don't get the five-star hotels, you don't get parties every night and having a good time with your own family. You're kind of just on an island by yourself. So after that adjustment period, man, I embraced uh, you know, my European journey. It was the best thing that happened to me because of how it made me grow as a person being uh having to adjust and adapt to other cultures and that the way that they do things. It brought a real appreciation for how we do things here in the United States. And so when I came back home after 10 years, my mind and my mindset was different. And I had a, a different idea in mind of how to, how to make an impact after basketball.
0: <sighs> What's it like for a basketball player to know, well, I'm gonna hang up the sneakers and, and what, what, what thought process goes through your mind on or what, what did you know what you wanted to do next?
1: I didn't have any idea. I knew it was over. I was playing in Doha, Doha guitar, you know, for my final swan song. And I just couldn't shake the, uh, the, the Achilles tendon injuries. Like I just couldn't. I would, I would, it would strain my Achilles, wait three weeks, play, play for a week, strain them again, just kept happening. So I went to the manager was like, you know what? You guys deserve a better player, man. I'm done. Like I was, I was done. And I knew I was done because I had no desire to play again when I was done i had maximized my potential i had maximized my uh, uh my my spirit when it comes to competitive spirit i was done and and europe will do that to you because of the business side of it you know, a lot of it's a lot of horror stories i left a lot of money i think 120 thousand i wasn't given i was supposed to be given playing in europe and having to deal with that mentally it takes a toll on you so when i was done i was done but And I got home, a guy named uh, Tony Weisinger, he was coaching at Illinois Central College. Tony Weisinger played in the Big Ten at the University of Illinois in the uh, the mid-80s, I think from like 83 to about 86, he played, he was a point guard, so he's from Peoria, we went to the same high school, played for the same coach, and uh, he was coaching and uh, gave me a a, a volunteer opportunity to coach at his, uh, at, at ICC. And so uh, and Rita, uh, Dr. Rita Ali, who's now the mayor of Peoria, she was the the head of uh, diversity at Illinois Central College. So she started a program called the Role Model Mentoring Program, where basically I would go around, get, a, get a, a group of students, and I would mentor them throughout the year, take them to cultural activities, you know, monitor their progress academically, make sure they're on track. And what she did that, that just, that sparked a fire in me. That wasn't directly what I wanted to do, but it sparked a fire I sparked a fire for me to say, whatever you do, it has to be a leadership role. It has to be something where you're building, where you're developing, and, and you're helping kids get better. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, and I ended up staying at ICC from 2010 to 2016. And it ended up being um, a great experience for me because I had never had a real job before. That was a, my first real job came in August of 2010, and I held on to it for about six years and, uh, and, and got the most out of it. But that was kind of a bucket list thing for me to do. It was like, man, you've never worked before. Basketball has always been your job. So after that, you know, I started to get back into coaching after 2016 and uh, I started getting into no, sorry. I was coaching while I was at ICC. I was coaching uh, high school basketball and uh, semi pro basketball for fun. And, and just the enjoyment of it uh, for about four, three years straight, uh, doing both driving back and forth X, Y, Z. So, uh, you know, that kind of grew my passion, had a lot of success at the semi pro level, winning uh, three championships and only losing five games in, in the four years that I coached. And, uh, you know, just have fun developing the kids at the high school level, connecting with them, sharing my journey and story with them. Uh, because I'm one of only four people to ever play in the NBA from the city of Peoria. So for kids to be around one of them, you know, that whoever has that dream is very, it could be a very inspiring for them. So in 2016, I think I coached uh, the uh, $2 million tournament. I was on TV with the Bradley uh, alumni team and we went all the way to the final four. So that actually got me a lot of traction when it came to coaching. I got never really got any interest from anybody uh, including Indiana, which was why I did. I was kind of like done with them. I couldn't understand why they wouldn't, you know, you know those guys wouldn't give an opp- give an Indiana player an opportunity to come back and have an impact on those guys at that time. And so I ended up, uh, you know, using that two million dollar tournament to go get my first coaching job with the Windy City Bulls uh, in, the, in the inaugural uh, uh, G League team that they had. Uh, Nate Lenser, who's now an assistant coach at uh, Nebraska with Fred Hoiberg. He picked me out, uh, you know, without even hesitation and brought me in, hired me. I had a great experience there. Uh, But even after that experience, the Bulls, they changed uh, G League coaches, which changed the staff. I wasn't retained. So I ended up, you know, thinking what was next. And ironically, Chris Collins called. No, yeah, text me. No, sorry, not Chris Collins, but Brian James from Northwestern. Who's assistant coach there with Chris Collins? He he just randomly texted me at that time, and asked me what I was up to. And I said I'll come up to a practice, man, watch you, meet you, talk to you. talk to Chris, and it wasn't about the job; it was just about just networking. Went up there, and uh, you know they showed interest in bringing me on as the de- as a player development director. Uh, and I went up there, uh, interviewed for the job, got the job. So that my my coach career was kind of rolling. And I was like, okay, I'm going to see what this college thing is all about then. Because I'm I'm a man of experiences. I like to touch everything and then decide what I want to do. I want to be a guy that, wanted, that did one thing for 45 years. I've never had a desire to be that person. I watched my mom do that. I watched my, my dad do that. Uh, I just never was interested in that. So that's why I touched every level of coaching before I made decision what I wanted to do. <clears throat> so I uh, coached at Northwestern for the year, had a great experience with uh, Chris Collins, and, and then I, I was able to get uh, I, I was on actually um, Armand Gates, who's now an assistant, I believe at Nebraska. He was at Northwestern with me. He ended up uh, leaving to go to Florida, which opened up an opportunity. What I thought for for was for a job at, as an assistant coach at Northwestern. But uh, it didn't work out that way for some reason. Well, Chris Collins told me he needed a more experienced recruiter in that position. So he didn't hire me. And I was like, OK, I'm 40 years old, man. Or well, I think I was 40 years old at the time, 41 years old. So I don't have time to, to play and be around for a long time. So I got I, I, actually what he did, what he allowed me to do was go on, a, on a, go recruiting uh, for that for a month or two and get, that, get the recruiting experience before they hired someone. And so uh, I went out and I met – I ran into an old friend named Tavares Hardy who played at Northwestern University back against me. Back, he was two years younger than me. We also played on a, the Illinois Warriors AAU team back in the day. He was two years younger than me, but we played some tournaments together. So I knew Tavares uh, – I knew he was coaching, but you know I, I didn't know he was on the verge of getting a head coaching job at Loyola. He didn't have the job at the time that I saw him, but we chopped it up. He gave me some, some pointers and things I needed to do if I wanted to succeed in that business, and we went our separate ways. Well, three, three months later, he gets the job at Loyola, and a uh, couple guys turned down his assistant coaching job position, and he calls me to be an assistant at Loyola. So I, and So I leave and go to Loyola in 2018. So all this is happening year after year after year. Uh, I get to Loyola, uh, great experience with Tavares, great experience being a college coach, but I was I'm gonna say I was a single father at the time, and I have a daughter who was, uh, I think she was in seventh grade at the time, 12 years old, and uh, I could not balance, I, I could not, she's an athlete, she's a basketball player, and it was pulling on me not being able to be there at her, at her games and supporting her, and even helping her get better, because she has had an opportunity to be really good. So when the end of the Loyola, uh, uh, the end of the season came at at Loyola, I did a year. I was like, I need to make a decision. I either need to go at this assistant coaching thing full time, or I need to find something that helps me be a part of my daughter's uh, opportunity. And so I may uh, during this time period, I was traveling. uh, Tavares was allowing us to go home. So when I got home. I was uh, approached by uh, the superintendent of our, our pure public schools about her sports. And she was just talking about what they needed to do to get sports better. And I guess I must've gave her a hell of a speech because two months later, she was calling me with an offer to come home and be the athletic director for Peoria public schools. So, you know, I'll be, I weighed the two options uh, and I'm like, I think being with my daughter during this time period and sacrificing my coach, coaching career is the way for me I, that I need to go. I said I I don't think I could look at myself in the mirror if it didn't work out for my daughter cuz she she has the division 1 talent, you know what I mean? And not me not being there, me not being around. I I had to sacrifice my coaching career to do that. So, I decided to take the job in it uh at Peoria Public Schools where I would be able to run athletics, be able to create programming, be able to develop my daughter, be able to go support her most times. Uh, and, and that's where I am today, uh, Director of Athletics for Peoria Public Schools. And that's, that was the journey to get there. And it all happened so fast and organically that I think it was destined. So that's, that's where I am today.
0: AJ Guyton, I know I ran a little bit long on you. Uh, who is coming up next on your podcast? What's some uh, guests that uh, we can look forward to on House of Hoosier?
1: Uh, we have some guests in the uh, in the vault right now. Like I told you, we're kind of focusing on just doing some pre and post game analysis, getting to know, getting to know, and following the current Indiana Hoosiers, which I think is where everybody's focus is right now. But I got I have a uh, in the vault with uh, Jamal Meeks. I have pause pause in the vault with Charlie Miller um i'm gonna have some upcoming uh, uh pods with um with guys that i don't want to name because i don't want them to, to 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 turn it down because i'm 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 saying it too early but i got plenty of a content coming man and and i just want i'm just glad people are still tuning in and enjoying it
0: you know when i first started uh doing this uh you were one of my guests one of my first guests on my show uh about five or six years ago and uh Uh, It was uh, fledgling, and it was just starting out, and I appreciate you giving me the chance, and I appreciate you uh, coming back and uh, doing the show.
1: Oh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me, man. I enjoy seeing all the nostalgic memories.
0: Uh, Thank you, A.J. Guyton. 2,100 points, Indiana University Hoosier. Thank you so much. Uh, Check out House of Hoosier on any uh, podcasting platform. Do you guys also have a YouTube channel?
1: Yeah, Field of 68 Network. is a YouTube channel. You can find all the older... I mean, got a list of them, man. Quinn Buckner, Steve Alford, uh, Yogi Ferrell, uh, Calvert Chaney, um, just Jay Edwards. I mean, it's just an amazing uh, uh, roster of of interviews. So go check them out.
0: Yes, it's pretty extensive and uh, very enjoyable. AJ Guyton, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you.